Alright, it looks like we are out of time, and I hope you guys are excited for Living Writers after this short announcement. Hello, this is Peter Bergman. And this is Philip Proctor. And you know what this country needs is more great radio stations like WCBN FM. Ann Arbor. That's the Cuban Blue Network here in Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. I'm so happy to have Jack Gems here in the studio. We're taping the program. It's October 19th, 2019. Jack, thanks for coming down to be in the studio and, and talk. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, uh, well, radio loves you already, Jack. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got on the table with us your latest uh, book launched out into the world, False Bingo Stories, um, out with FSG, MCD of FSG. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a newer imprint of FSG. So this, the Sean McDonald who started FSG Originals, um, passed that off to my editor Emily Bell, and he's re he's launched another imprint called MCD, um, and so they're they're very closely intertwined but yeah and your your um your last your your last novel was with um fsg originals right, right? and yeah. then okay great and then before that if we go back in the time machine mm-hmm. um you had two books um and successes with Dzank yeah, books from here, yeah. from based here in town mm-hmm. yeah yeah so, so it's it feels lovely to be back in ann arbor and yeah oh, in the home of uh, the place that kind of uh you like welcomed me into its arms with that publisher. I mean, you know, completely. Yeah. Um, and what was that like, uh, Jack? Just to kind of jump right into things, because we've got False Bingo on the table with us. I'll tell you what. Let's. I'll read your short bio on the back of False Bingo, and maybe let's let's talk a little bit about um, your the history of how we got to False Bingo. Sure. If that sounds. Yeah. If that sounds good. Jack Gems is the author of the short story collection, A Different Bed Every Time, and of the novels My Only Wife and The Grip of It. She teaches creative writing in Chicago. All right. So we've got... That's short. So let's fill in some more bio, right? Let's talk about... Okay, let's talk about writing. Were you... um, when you were writing, uh, did you? What was your path like? Did you choose an MFA program? Did you always have notebooks by your bedside table or in your your bag? Yeah, I um I did go to an MFA program. I went uh, directly out of undergrad, so I I had a quick turnaround. I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and um and I loved it there. It's a really unusual program. They don't make you choose uh, fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction. They let you do anything. But be, even beyond that, they um, 
they mix in all of the artists of other disciplines as well. So you might have a class on fragmented narrative or something like that, that where there may be six actual writers in the class, but then there's a painter and a sound artist and a sculptor. Um, so that was uh, just it felt like the perfect place because I do really like other um, other disciplines of art and I feel like that really feeds me as a writer. And that was like fragmented narrative, for example, would inform then the painter's practice of how they would see what they were trying to communicate with paint or... Yeah, or, yeah. Or sometimes yeah, they were interested in also making writing a part of their artistic practice too, but both ways. Yes. Also thinking about narrative in terms of, uh, of painting as well. Yeah. So did you also take painting classes no. or, well, cause uh, there's <laughs> characters in here who suddenly start sketching portraits of people they see in waiting rooms. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so. I, um, you know, when I, started going when I started at the Art Institute I felt like one of the um, real draws for me was uh, was that I could take uh, art classes and other disciplines but then when I got there it felt like my time was so short I really wanted to make the most use of the is writing it, classes. Is it two years? It's Jack? two years and I stretched it out to take to add another semester um, because I was working full-time while I was in school so um, so I wanted to be able to to make sure that I was actually able to put that time in the program to its best use. And I felt like if I'm working full time, like I can only write so much. And so, um, so I stretched it out a little bit, but, um, but that's the, so young, the, that's so young to know that you needed to protect your time, um, as a writer. Yeah. Uh, I feel the one thing I'll say about the Art Institute is they do a good job that in the writing program of offering classes that talk specifically about a, a pretty pragmatic approach to um, how are you going to sustain your practice. And I feel like that's not something that's offered at every MFA program. And it was it it felt I, I, looking back, I didn't realize what a true gift it was. But I took a, a class called Pragmatic Approach and a class called The Situation of the Writer that talked all about um, applying for grants and residencies and um, and all of the kind of more administrative side of living a writing life. Um, Which isn't the glamorous part. It's not like the... The idea of like oh, and then exchanging ideas late night at the mm -hmm. bar or so, but it's yeah. the kind that the kind of ideas that give you uh, some solid ground that you need, yeah, or directions. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I kind of have a I I enjoy thinking about that um, those kind of tactical elements of the writing life. I don't I, like I know some people hate talking about publishing or um or process and that kind of stuff and um it, it really um I think that there's the kind of more uh type A side of me that's like okay, how are we going to make this happen? Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right, cuz the cuz you're compelled to write and yeah. these stories or novels are emerging mm -hmm. and you want to find a way for them to be in the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I like this tactical. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but though uh, the maybe the most uh, art, uh, visual or other discipline of art leaning class I, I took, I did take a class called Text Off the Page. Um, and then I ended up TAing that class later in my time there. But um, 
but it was really cool. The three main projects for that class were um, an alternative publication, so it couldn't be a book. It had to be. Uh, it had to take another form. A public art project, and then a gallery show. So thinking of ways of presenting your writing in um, in other formats, uh, and I think, I, I mean, I loved that. And oh. it was full of art, other artists of who weren't writers. Uh, yeah. So, and and do you still keep part of that as your practice, like in your? Because some writers have uh, writer friends that they'll send work to. Do you find that you keep this going, where you have painters, musicians, other folks in your? Yeah, creative I, circle. Or? I do. My my partner and I both went to the art institute, and so I feel like our um, our friends are artists who are making all different sorts of things: filmmakers and uh, and sculptors and um, comics artists. And um, so so yeah, I think that. And, and I would say that also, I feel like the times that the that that really becomes. Um, uh, revitalized for me is going on artist residencies. I often find that I connect better with the with artists who are working in other disciplines than I do writers. Uh, and I think it's just because, like, sometimes hearing their process and placing, um, using their process almost as like a, a metaphor for what I'm doing, I can somehow I can access that better than if I read a book on say craft. Um, and and try to implement those things. Sometimes that can feel too prescriptive to me, and it can be paralyzing. Right, like it's this is what you you need to do, even if it's trying to help in ways yeah. to guide. Yeah. So, can you? Is there a way? Can you give an example of what you mean from like a like some a time when you went to one of the residencies? Yeah, maybe the Vermont Arts uh, Studio or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, that. Uh, like I'm thinking of uh, a friend of a, a friend of mine, a sculptor, uh, Mary Schwab, and uh, she uh, she is just so um, playful and inventive with uh, with materials in her practice, and she she both in using say like quick concrete, uh, she'll she'll like make molds or she'll like she'll try to make a form with this quick concrete but then it's also bringing in real world just found objects into it and seeing how they interact with what she's pulling together and um like so so even just that as a metaphor that I would bring to thinking about my own work you know what does it mean to form sort of a like a um, lump of raw material and then also to uh to think about the work as uh okay what happens if I bring in these other three random elements uh or these three constraints that I then have to make it work together and do you ever put like a, a time frame on it too like where or is it something where once you have kind of it almost feels like it's like a serious play, like a, you know, where you're putting these elements and then seeing what happens. Yeah. Is time ever one of yours? Or do you sort of just let the subconscious or let the writing to discover what happens 
happen over whatever time it needs. Do you you mean just the time that uh, that I would give toward that experiment? <laughs> and, yes, because and the only reason why I'm asking is because I was attached to this quick drying concrete. Yeah. So that's the only reason why. Because like, oh, yeah. if that was an element that All you were right. carrying forward in the metaphor no, of I it. I don't think okay. so. <laughs> Taking it too far, Hetzel, yet again, yet again. Oh, boy. Jack, what are you in for today, right? <laughs> no, no, no I, I get it. That makes sense to me. Well, and I, you know, I think that... Um, I I try to have a pretty regular writing practice and I try to meet word counts. That's usually like the way that I keep myself accountable and productive. But I know that there are people who benefit from, okay, like set the timer and and you've got to write for that long. And I feel like that's kind of similar to the quick drying concrete, you know. Some of my students found a site once, which I don't think I would recommend, but for fun, it was something like, I think it was called Write or Die or something where it was, you know, if you didn't keep writing, it would start erasing what you had previously written within mm-hmm. this, the frame. Oh, <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I don't want to do that at all. free writing no. <laughs> to a non-free writing space somehow. I stare off into space a lot, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you mentioned writing practice. So we've got spare, staring off into space as part of like to let the ideas come. Do you have, do you, are you able to write every day unless there's other distra- or how much do you let life disrupt um, yeah. your will to write I think that I um you know I, I lie to myself and say I write every day but I don't I write maybe four days a week and that feels fine to me but I give it um but I'm lucky enough to be able to to give the writing usually a few hours in the morning um that's usually my time for writing and um and so for the most part, that feels that feels good, you know. And I, I like I, I'm I'm lenient with myself and thinking like I don't need to be sitting down every day because this, um, this uh, routine is is regular enough that um, that I I don't feel like I need to impose more rules on it. I wonder if because it feels like the routine is real too, obviously. Um, I wonder, because you rolled from undergrad into the MFA program, if these habits were, or did you always have sort of these working habits even um, before? Because that's a chunk of time, maybe, that from doing it then, that it sort of became ingrained in you. Yeah, um, I... So in my last semester of undergrad, I decided I was going to write a novel as an independent study. And that was my first uh, novel, My Only Wife. Um, And that was the first draft of it. I didn't finish it by any means. Um, But you had a whole working draft um, in that time frame. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. And and I think the committing to – with that, I, I basically told my advisor, okay, I'm going to write 20 pages a week. And I think that was the thing that really like kicked off that, um, that routine, you know? Yeah. Cause you had to map it out mm-hmm. to know how you could realize it in this very, like this specific time frame yeah. that was required of you in that moment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I think that I also, I was, uh, you know, in, in grad school, I saw so many people leave grad school and stop writing as soon as they didn't have deadlines. That was really scary to me to think that um, that you could put all of this time and effort and thought into um, 
into building that life for yourself and then uh, and then let it dissolve right away. So I felt like the fear uh, of that was very real. And so I was sort of insistent on avoiding that fate. <laughs> That's great. Today on Living Writers, Jack Gems is here. Um, we've got False Bingo, her latest book of stories on the table with us. I think the pub date was October 8th. Yeah, right? just so last week. Yes. Yeah. So um, welcome to the world, False Bingo. And Jack Gems, welcome to Living Writers. We've got Gina Brandolino behind the glass. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Jack Gems is here in the studio. Her book on the table with us, her latest collection of stories, False Bingo. Um, we've got Gina behind the glass and a studio audience. Jared! <laughs> Um, so this is a great, Jack, thanks so much for being here. Thank you um, again. Coming yeah. down to talk to the, today. Um, so thanks also for picking the, the songs for today's program. Yeah. What, why this, the one we just heard? Yeah, that was um, Storyline Fever from David Berman's last project, uh, Purple Mountains. So um, I don't know if you're a Silver Jews fan or a David Berman fan. But, I love the um, sound. Yeah, he... Um, he uh my so not too long ago my uh my partner Jared who's in the audience um had asked me okay if you could um if anyone who isn't making music anymore could make a new album if you could see them who who would it be and i said david berman um and then we found out almost immediately after that he was working on a new project and then this is terribly tragic but um but then he passed away uh we got tickets to see the show that was you know promoting this newest album and then he passed away um and so um I think both Jared and I were very surprised at how affected we were by that. And um, and it, he was a poet as well. He wasn't just a musician. He um, is an amazing, playful poet. Uh, and his lyrics 
uh, reflect that too. They're very, um, they're just so smart and uh, literary. And um, so that song, Storyline Fever, um, that there's a line in it, Storyline Fever's got its hooks in you. And it's, it, he has this talent for making this music that sounds very cheery, but, um, but oftentimes what he's singing about is um, so devastating. Uh, but the idea that uh, of our impulse to make narrative and to uh, follow what we think a particular uh, narrative line would be, even if it's maybe not um, the most useful to us. That was what I was thinking with that one. And that actually reminds me of one of your stories, one of the characters, um, or maybe multiple stories. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the exact one. I think it's with a a female narrator (laughs) and where she almost, I think, there's a moment where I feel like it seemed almost meta in that she was talking about making the story that she yeah, wanted. Yeah, in pastoral, um, the, it, it, she basically says, you know, if you're waiting for the threat, there isn't one. I don't know if that's the one that you're thinking of. I think that was the, the, <clears throat> the created frame of it. And then I was also thinking how the principal's ashes would also even fit that in a way because of the expectation of something happening and trying to live your life away from it. And then, Mm -hmm. um, well, now that we're, we're talking, thanks for picking the songs for today's show. And, um, and I will definitely be listening more. Is, is, was, was he from the Chicago area or was was living in Chicago, um, up until recently? Yeah. And so, um, my, uh, we actually ran into him at uh, at a bar, and uh, and my partner got to meet him, uh, and it was just like a really special moment. Yeah, but um, I mean, maybe that's why it seemed especially close. Is that um, he was he he was friends with a lot of people that we're friends with, and we didn't know him personally, really. But yeah, it sounds like your community in Chicago, um, your your artist community, is a strong one. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's really lovely. Yeah, and it and it's cross like you said earlier. We were talking about at the beginning of the program. It's crossing all all of the art genres. Yeah, it feels that way. It feels like um, it, it. We've been in the city so long. It feels really, um, really small. And it just like you figure out that you know everybody through someone else at the very least. So um, it makes meeting even new people just feel really, um, really natural and warm and not scary (laughs) Uh. and there's also in chicago aren't there there's um the the city has nonprofits and different organizations um like the loft like because uh, you you teach for multiple the places loft is in minneapolis oh it is I teach oh. online for them but, oh, okay. um, but chicago has story studio which is maybe our version of the loft on a smaller scale but we're, we're trying to grow yeah and then you teach for the story studio mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah what are your current classes right uh, now i'm teaching an, a speculative novel in a year uh and it's so uh it's been we've only met three times but i just have the best group of students it's um there are 10 of us and everyone is trying to write a novel in the course of a year and um and we meet once a month um and then I'll meet individually with them starting up soon but um but it's uh 
they're just so supportive of each other and they're all so smart and uh yeah <laughs> it sounds like and and so in doing this work jack it seems like you're in turn creating more of the chicago arts community because then this group has you to connect with and then each other now yeah i hope so you know i i always in every workshop i i try to uh, remind students that uh Yes, we'll be talking about the work itself, but if you can plan to continue writing outside of the workshop, one of the most valuable things that you can take away is finding your people and finding those trusted readers. So um, so thinking of class as a community-building exercise, too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, did uh, do, you, do you know the writer Rebecca Brown? Yes, chance. I do. Yeah, um, I wondered because of Brian Evanson. Oh, as, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who who's uh, who wrote a blurb? A yeah, blurb for the for False Bingo, um, because she was very important when I was at Richard Hugo House in Seattle. Oh, and Hugo House is so wonderful. Do you, yes. do you know it? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah, I've taught little one-off classes there. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, shout out to uh, Hugo House and, <laughs> and everyone who carries on um, the its its tradition. Um, but Rebecca Brown, I remember before I came here for the MFA program, she said, um, it's not, and no, not, this does not reflect on the folks that were here because she didn't know who would be here. Um, but she said, you know, what you don't realize is the most important people you'll probably meet are people that are in your cohort mm-hmm. or in your group. And which yeah. is, I think what you're speaking about is this community yeah. that you can choose to be in, in touch, t- keep in touch with. Um, yeah. but um, but you, yeah, you never also know who might be one of your people. I love yeah. that you're saying finding your people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe someone's not your person in that moment, but they end up being your person later. So staying open to those relationships changing too. Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, and, and so are you, um, did you read Rebecca Brown's stories? Is she part of your like expanded community like I know um from going to literati last night I know that um even though she's no longer with us Shirley Jackson I feel like is part of your writer's community and her work is um yeah I've I've read um one of uh Rebecca Brown's collections but um but yeah I, I um I, I don't know her personally you know and yeah yeah um I'm a, I'm a fan of her work but um but yeah, uh, I, uh, I I guess I haven't delved very deeply. Yeah, um, with with this the uh, the stories that you're writing, um, when does when do some of them? How do they start for you, Jack? Because are you um, does an image come to mind? Does a first line? Because some of the first lines, um, I feel like there is one that I wanted to talk about in particular but um but actually if you look at all your first lines we could we could talk about that does it start with a first line does it or or sometimes it's maybe something that you know and you write toward yeah um both so sometimes I uh I feel like if I start with uh an idea 
because sometimes I start and I have no idea where I'm going. Sometimes I'll I'll just sort of um, like maybe pick some random language and start there and see what happens. Um, it's that playfulness that I was talking about. Um, like, and, like the frog that dies in the story from Walmart. Mm-hmm. You that happened to you. That did happen to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so was that one of the elements where you thought, now this is like this happened to you in real life? And I'm sorry. It kind of sounds terrible, (laughs) even though it was short, but it was, yeah. No. (laughs) Um, But this thing, this thing happened that was odd and Uh definitely unsettling. And you thought, aha, more grist for the mill. Well, you know, I wrote a story around that frog um, a while a long time ago and then threw it away and then the frog showed up in this story you know (laughs) yeah um but uh so do you when you say throw it away does that mean the stories go in a drawer and or I wrote it I feel like I wrote it when I was very young like I was 22 and I was just like this story isn't anything you know and um but I had written uh, I mean this that story was entirely about the process of buying that frog and uh and then having to return the dead body <laughs> whereas in how it's working in this story is a bit very a small yeah, yeah. <laughs> which felt uh you know with the di- with a little distance from the experience felt more appropriate um but so um so I actually, I don't know that that's the best example of, um, for me, uh, of like what happens when I have an idea. Sometimes it's just an image. Sometimes it's just uh, uh, an idea of something that I can, that I can see. I'm trying to think of an example from the story. Oh, like the, um, there's the story Hunt and Catch is about uh, a woman trying to escape an overly friendly garbage man. And that idea of a, like a garbage man just waving to you from across the street as though you knew each other that was something that I wanted to write around and that's all I knew um, so that's an example of an image but then oftentimes it uh, um, the the other way that a story can a kernel can kind of show up is maybe knowing a turn that I want to happen at the end and so um, so there's a story called default that's almost just a, a list of images um, and then there's a, a turn that sort of reframes those images at the end of the story and so I knew that that turn that that um, change and this is about the um, the young person who realizes their father is maybe not who they thought they were I'll say that just for the sake of uh, <laughs> of saving spoilers yes yeah. completely mm-hmm. and that was the first line actually Jack that I had, was thinking of when I said oh let's talk first lines because um, the first line of default is every memory twisted by revision mm-hmm. right um, and I think that um, so sometimes if I know um, that turn that I'm working toward, um, sometimes then I'll even play language games, uh, to, to just sort of see, okay, how can I surprise myself and how I get there? So was that how you started generating that list, for example? Mm -hmm. So working with the fragments of images that are blasting and accumulating. Yeah. And so making just a, a very long list of images and then deciding what was, uh, appropriate to that character like what um 
like thinking of it almost as like a collection. I, I, I was reading the artist um, Susan Hiller recently. She had an essay, I forget what it was called, but she was talking about how um, if you have a collection of objects, and I think it works with images too, that um, a collection automatically implies narrative, uh, that we start to try to understand why those things are being grouped together. And so, um, and so that's sort of the way that I was thinking about those images. Okay, what's the what's the boundary that you draw around these different images, these memories from this character that um, that reveal to us who who that character is, but then also their relationship with the father. It's so interesting because it is a lens. You have to think who she is, this mm-hmm. young girl, and even maybe a trajectory of time mm-hmm. represented in that as well. Yeah. Let's take a short break. And Sounds then when good. we come back, more today with Jack Gems, false bingo stories. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, Jack Gems is here. False bingo stories out with MCD of FSG originals. Um, Jack, so the song we just heard, why why the song? Why did you bring this one in oh, for today? A, uh, so the artist's name is Aldous Harding. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, another writer, Zach Dodson, who lives in New Zealand, We I, I was just Skyping with him. And he um, he told me that I needed to watch one of her music videos called um, called the barrel and the video is like very uh subtle for a long time and and the the singer is dancing in these very micro gestury ways um and uh, and she's wearing a funny outfit but it's not that funny and i feel like i watched the first three quarters of the video and i was like is she in on the joke like i can't figure out what's going on and then something happens and you realize she is absolutely in on the joke but um 
Um, so I can't recommend the video enough because it's very uh, creepy and great um, and subtle in, its, in, in the way it works. And what's its name again, It's Jack? called The Barrel. The and Barrel. her name is Aldous Harding. Aldous, like Aldous Huxley. Yeah, yeah. what a great name. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but we, uh, I, I just went to see her perform, and her performance uh, style is so strange. She sort of rolls her eyes up into her head, and she makes this very direct eye contact with the audience. <laughs> Once and, the eyes return. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, she has this very deep... Um, kind of resonant Nico kind of sound to her voice most of the time. But in that song that um, that was just playing, she goes up into this very sharp nasal sound that um, felt really startling because she didn't do that on any other song. Um, so to just know that she had the capacity to move into that range, um, it just feels, uh, I don't know, it, it affects me in a way that I, I don't, expect it to it's so interesting to hear you talk about this jack because it feels like what you were talking about earlier about how like the other like art feeds you mm -hmm. and your process and how you're making because that sounds like what your stories are up to yeah as well. yeah i mean i think yeah i think ex exposing myself to those things and then thinking about if there's a relationship to my work, I mean, it is just, it feels very generative. And, and many of the stories feel very startling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like a turn. I like, a, I like, a, I like, I like the word turn because I think it's, it's more often used in poetry and, um, and I think that people have a real idea of what a twist in a story is, but that doesn't feel totally apt to what I'm doing all the time. Well, it feels, it feels too like, constructed, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Whereas um, with the turn, it, it rather than thinking, okay, I'm just going to um, change something about the plot that's happening and, and surprise the reader with uh, some sort of cause and effect of events, the turn, thinking about it in terms of a turn instead I think allows me to think about um, okay what if I shift modes in the writing which I feel like um, is maybe underutilized as uh, as uh, as a, technique uh, a literary technique yeah um, can you tell say yeah could you give a, a yeah tell so, us a so little that more story about default that. I think has a real shift in mode you know it's it's this list of images and then um and then you get this just near it, it's um it's essentially that some that story is summary and scene you get this list of uh of images that inform a whole backstory of a relationship and that's the summary of their of the sort of expository summary of those uh, two people. And then it shifts into a scene where One characters scene. are actually interacting with each other. Or, right. Or, or it will. Yes. Cause it's all, it takes place in the car there. Mm -hmm. It's yes. other places are talked about like a funeral mm -hmm. home, et cetera. Right. right? Like a moments outside, but they, the scene is, takes place within the car. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so thinking uh, there is a, a plot, twist at the end but it's um but i also like signal that twist with a change in mode too so the that change it would be the turn not the very end of the story where yeah i see what you mean yeah um i most feel like we should tell everyone right now because i think it's still a good story like 
I think we need to tell listeners what happens at that. Oh, sure. Uh, but that's uh, so, okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Yeah. Because we're I just mean, talking I don't about it so for, much. <laughs> for plot spoilers as much, you know, so I, I'm not worried about yes. it. But yeah. Um, uh, but or so turn the, the radio down if you don't want to oh, hear. Oh yeah, it right you don't want to hear. It's a three-page story, <laughs> so I, you know, it's it's not like. Um, so uh, a person sort of shares all of these uh, memories that they have with their father, and then they're on their way home from the funeral with their mother and their sister, and the sister reveals that um, that the father wasn't. Uh, it's funny. Everyone assumes it's a female narrator. I was thinking of it as a male narrator, but it doesn't matter. I don't specify. So, um, so the sister reveals to, in my case, in my mind, the brother, um, that the father was never um, his. It wasn't his actually his father, and that neither of them knew. So it wasn't like the father had been treating him poorly because he didn't think he was his son. It um, it was just that uh, neither of them knew, and and that didn't have any actual bearing on their relationship. And and I think that it's so. There's so all of this is happening in this three page story, like you said, Jack. Um, and that's a lot of compression and, and, and experience for the reader. Um, and then I think there's even moments after that, at least for my one experience as a reader where I thought, and why is it that the mother and the daughter get to know? Because it's not the mother who says who would have had the original Mm -hmm. secret in the story (laughs) or, um, and she obviously then, and that's all off the pages. So there's these layers that are happening within these com- compressed. That's which I think is the beauty of the short story. Yeah, yeah, that so much can can happen uh, off camera <laughs> and uh, and be brought to bear. Yeah, and, and that the reader still experiences. <clears throat> and last night at Literata, you were talking about how you it's important for you to leave space for the reader I, I don't do. know if you said it exactly like yeah. that but that's what I got no I think about um uh, I think about and talk about with my students a lot the idea of the writer reader contract and that you sort of um you know you decide how much agency you want your reader to have and I uh I, you know if you're thinking of that as a scale I'm definitely fall on the end of uh, wanting to leave my reader more opportunity to make their own interpretations and to fill in gaps and to come to their own understanding of the story. Um, Even with gender, for example, yeah. in default. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a few... Uh, uh, narrators in this story, first-person narrators that I don't specify. And um, I kind of love the, – the other one that I'm thinking of is there's a story called Get Back where a character is talking about uh, the the revenge that they take on all of these different people. Oh, it's, uh, and it's a very it's violent kind of story. <laughs> yeah, it's a very violent story. And I had originally written that as a male narrator too, but everyone's been reading it as a female. And I love – I'm like, why didn't I make it a female? It's so much better if it's a female. But, but you also didn't not make it a <laughs> right, female. For sure. Somehow. Yeah. And I think because of the nature of some of the other um, themes that are studied that are that I'm examining in the collection, I think maybe it makes more sense to be for that character in specific to be read as a female. Yeah. Because I think many of those the strong narrative voices, um well, you know what? Let's let's 
let's stop our conversation for just a moment and read some of false bingo. Oh, sure. Let's because otherwise I'm enjoying this so much with you. I'm, I fear we won't get to hear some of it. So yeah, false bingo good. it is. Yeah. Well, here's another um, <laughs> uh, first person female character uh, uh, narrator. And so I'm going to read just the first couple pages of um, of a story called Half Dollar. I didn't want Patty to see my reluctance, but my conscience won out. Patty, are we sure? This feels different. We'll be on someone else's turf. I'd watched Patty walk out of department stores with sweaters, only to return them hours later for store credit. I'd allowed her to swap our ginger ales for pints of beer when the men at the tavern stood to take their turns in the darts games. Wandering into a stranger's yard without a plan, though, seemed more illicit. Patty responded by pushing the gate open. She started down the path, which was covered in leaves and brush several seasons old. As soon as I stepped past the fence, all of the street lamps went out. I looked back, and I could still see the iron constellation high above. The shine stopped at the deep shrubs lining the fence. I had trouble seeing as far as my feet, and so I stepped gingerly and clasped a hand on Patty's shoulder. Like always, I wanted to leech some of her assured energy. Patty shrugged me off, saying, Get, you're not afraid, are you? I shook my head, relieved she hadn't seen me lie my cowardice away. When we reached the front porch, Patty's foot ripped a large creak from the first step. I jumped within, but inhaled, holding steady without. Patty tilted down to examine the wood of the step with her fingertips, soft, Nearly rotted through, she said, turning to me. She straightened and lifted herself easily up the next two stairs. A dim light shined behind the shear. Patty stood in front of the door, measured, observant. I was too nervous to think of anything but what would happen next. After several seconds, I saw Patty's hand rise. I looked for a shadow, but the absence of light let her knuckles fall without a mark. She gave three quick raps and clasped her hands behind her back, raising her head to look toward the small window at the top of the door. In a moment, the fixture above us, bulb half-clouded by dead bugs and grit, flicked on. We heard a chain lock slide and fall slack, and a whoosh of air sucked into the house as the door eased back, like a vacuum opening. Before us stood a woman, not thin so much as empty of herself. She had been fuller at some point, and in the once-filled spaces, a lack coaxed our attention. She didn't say a word, only looked behind us, searching for some other element of our arrival. Mrs. Pengreen, Patty said, and I snapped my sight on her, wondering what sort of chance Patty was taking. The woman raised one eyebrow and nodded her head as slowly as I've ever seen. So nice to meet you, Mrs. Pengreen. I was wondering, is Mr. Pengreen home? Mrs. Pengreen breathed deeply, like that rush of air through the door, and shook her head. Patty took this well. All right, then. Might I leave a message for him? It's very important. It was then I saw the mailbox beside the door with Mr. and Mrs. A. Pengreen embossed in gold on the black mat. Patty was the most ghastly. I would never catch up. The woman brought a hand to her mouth absently, rubbed her forefinger against her lip, stalling like she didn't much care to speak the answer she had at the ready, but her hand dropped, and she had her say, I'm afraid you can't. Mr. Pengreen is no longer with us. 
Patty gulped air. We had practiced our gasps in front of the mirror, rehearsing their timing and strength, trying to make them as believable as possible. Patty played master, and I apprentice as usual. That can't be, she said. That just simply can't be. Thank Thanks, you. Jack. <laughs> Thanks. Um, we'll come back. We'll talk a bit about this story. We have to take a short break. Um, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Jack Gems is here. Her book of stories, False Bingo. We'll be back. Back. You've got living writers today on the program. Jack Gems is here. False bingo stories just out with MCD of FSG originals. Um, thanks for coming today, Jack, and Thank for again. and for reading and for picking the songs. Did you want to say anything about this this song? I don't have too much to say. No, about okay, that one. <laughs> okay, but it's yeah. good. It's I think a it's great funny. Vibe uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, funny. How so? Oh, oh, I just like this sort of uh, beachy Hawaiian vibe to it. And basically she's saying, I need to get out more. I mean, the whole song is just her repeating the line, I need to get out more, which is probably true and also of me, but uh, (laughs) but also true of a lot of the characters in the book. They're sort of insulated. That's why I picked it. And it's so true. (laughs) I, oh, that's, oh, I love that. Um, And so you, you work to, um, create that insulation as part of the tension or 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 do you or is it something like a commentary on um the individual (laughs) yeah yeah I yeah I I I guess I maybe that's something that I need to examine more in my work but yeah I mean what happens if you're um if your own mindset sort of cannibalizes itself because you aren't giving yourself a lot of contact with other uh, modes of thought. Yeah. And I think that actually happens also as people age too, Mm -hmm. or maybe it is happening as we, you know, you can just shop online and have things dropped off and you don't have as many even simple interactions. Yes. uh, Yes. Or civilized uh, interactions. Yeah, and the way that people. algorithms are spitting back to us what uh, what we want to hear, too. You know, yeah, absolutely. Quite just unsettling. Yes, quite unsettling. <laughs> yeah. um, it, so when you were saying the characters need to get get out more, it reminds me of one of the stories where you have. Um, it seems like a maybe a, a young woman uh, who's 
gone for a holiday, well, in quotation marks, to the south, and she's on crutches, Mm -hmm. and she's almost but trapped in this sort of swampland, but tries to go out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this, when you were, (laughs) I don't know if you can think back to the making of this one, Jack, but were you, with this character, did you put her on crutches to give her another constraint? Or to see what would, or yeah, and which story is it? I'm sorry that yeah, I didn't no, read worry. with the it's title. Don't let's. Don't let story that okay. you're talking about. Yeah, um, the well, uh, the, the I wrote that I don't. I don't think I normally write about place as uh, as uh, dedicatedly as I do in that story. But um, but that story started because. Um, because I was doing a residency uh, on the Georgia coast, uh, and it was uh, just the it was such a haunting atmosphere. The air was so still, and um, and the vegetation was just totally different uh, than I was used to. And there were alligators on the property, <laughs> and um, and uh, that was spooky to me because I'm not used to them. But though it seemed like the people who lived there were fine with them, you know. Um, so uh, so the um the crutches that the character has in that story are really um just a, a like i i guess i think of them as like a reminder of the the trauma that she's trying to get away from and going on that trip and so it's it's um it's uh, even though she's trying to escape what happened back home um she can't because it's it's you know it's impeding her ability to just enjoy this time away yeah it's, it's interesting to me in the story, too, for the reader, um, at least this reader's experience, <clears throat> excuse me, it seems like what's happening in the moment, because she's in, in this place, this southern uh, place, is what is supposed to be the the like the larger threat to her because there's some mysterious things happening mm-hmm. like a key just dis- the key to the house she's staying in disappears from under a turtle shell yeah. um and she knows that it wasn't her that took removed it mm-hmm. um and then it comes back uh and she knows <laughs> she didn't find it um but then it seems like the other story that what she's trying to escape actually has the really ha- it starts to grow as the story continues and you know that that's the larger threat is what she was leaving behind Mm -hmm. and yeah i um yeah so the idea that um that in trying to outrun this that i i I just i'm sorry i'm gonna backtrack i i just did a reading with um with abby genie i don't know if you know her work she she has two novels the light keepers and the wildlands that are both um uh, just so impeccably plotted, but then they also have such a strong sense of place. One of them is set on the Farallon Islands, um, uh, that where there's just like this this crazy weather and wildlife. And then her other novel is set in Oklahoma, like in tornado season. And um, and she was talking about how um, how setting is free tension and how. Um, and how, you know, like, why wouldn't you set your story in a place where the natural world could intrude at any moment? And um, and I, I feel like that's something that it does not feel uh, uh, 
truthful to my work uh, for the most part. That's not a, like a that's not free tension that I'm picking up most of the time. But I think in this story, it is a little bit, yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, that to have a very immediate threat and to also have a uh, a more distant threat to think about those um, the relationship of those two things. And you use flashback as a way to insert the pieces of the story. Yeah. Yep. So the reader, but it was, it was so interesting to me to see how then that I realized, oh, that, that is, that's the biggest threat. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was lovely because you get sort of wrapped up into this world that she's an outsider of Mm -hmm. and anything could happen because there's even a spirit that, um, would steal your breath. Right. The boo hag. The boo hag. Yes. (laughs) Um, and then you realize actually that's quite quite friendly as long as you don't struggle is which is what you're told in the story by the end Mm -hmm. um so so also i feel like we should let's say a few words about half dollar because that was the story that we got to hear uh earlier in in the program and that was you wrote after shirley jackson i did yeah so um so tin house was having a contest where they posted an unfinished shirley jackson story and they asked people to finish it um and i wrote this story uh, as an ending to that story of hers, but it didn't win. But I looked back at the story and I thought, oh, it actually kind of works as a story on its own. And so I changed names and I mean, it, it became its own thing entirely. I don't think you would automatically match it up as uh, as uh, I don't feel like I'm plagiarizing, I guess is the, is well, the thing. Yeah, well, But it is so, I mean, she was, so, I mean, this story wouldn't exist without the beginning of that story, which I don't even remember what it was. It was just two young girls. That's all I remember. And you took them up to this porch yes. and put them in <laughs> right. this, this conflict of, um, of a creepy, creepy conflict yeah. with each other, not mm-hmm. just the outside world. Um, so when you were doing this project, I did, did you step in? Cause I know Shirley Jackson is, is someone that, like one of you in your writer's community. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. um, so how do you balance that? Cause to step into this voice or did you realize that your voice was already what had completely, once you tried to finish the story, it had just become your world, Jack Jones. Yeah. Well, I think when I was writing that, writing it as the end of that other story, I was thinking about the density of her language and the way that she, um, I, I was trying to match some of her, uh, descriptive gestures um and so um you and, and it's also set oh thank you um and so I um yeah and, and it's set in in a past time and so I was also that's not usually where I go with my writing so um so picking up all of that uh felt like a really fun exercise you know um and a nice opportunity to sort of get out of my own uh, habits. But yet it seems like no matter what, the voice of yours, Jack Gems, is then comes and like the way your mind as a writer is ticking informs it. Yeah. Beca- because it seems like, of course, like all of these stories work in consort together. Um, that's why you've got them in false bingo, yeah. obviously. Um but but I love that that feeling of like you're you're playing with something and you're taking these elements yeah. like you spoke of earlier and putting them in relationship. But then you're you're the lens, yeah. your mind. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
it just um it felt like a real gift to find that prompt and to uh and you know probably I wouldn't have uh have decided to try it if it wasn't something that already felt like it appealed to me you know and I don't I I in putting together the collection I um you know I I started thinking about the stories as a collection earlier than I did with my with my last collection um and and writing towards the idea of making them talk to making the stories talk to each other but um but I think that also some of it is some of it ends up just being what are my obsessions at a given time? And so, uh, so there's an inherent logic to, uh, the overlap between the stories because I, I'm always writing what interests me, you know? Yeah. Jack, come back again. Let's talk about your novels next time. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for today. Um, So you've, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Gina Brandolino for engineering. Thanks to Jared for being our studio audience. (laughs) Um, Thanks to Frank Uli for post-production. Thanks to George Cooper for the theme song for the show. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Troubles in dreams, send them all away. Put them in a bottle and across the seas they stay. Speak not of misfortune, speak not of. And welcome, everybody, to the Daily Sports Report here on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Nick Hornberg, and a little bit of a light panel on the other side of the glass. Owen Swanson and Dan Levine are here. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's start with uh, a sport that's in the off season, but some people really love the Hot Stove League, and Evil Empire gonna Evil Empire... Garrett Cole signs the largest contract for a pitcher in the history of baseball, $324 million with the New York Yankees. Well, one thing that's crazy is, I mean, obviously that's a record deal by a long shot, and only a couple, a day or two after, Steven Strasburg may have had the largest pitcher deal ever. He blew that out of the water by $80 million, um, which is a crazy margin. But I read a stat today that in 1989, Roger Clemens became the highest paid pitcher in the MLB with a contract of 7.5 million 7.5 million per year total 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 okay. total it's a 3 year deal worth 7 million i mean obviously Garrett Coles is worth 9 is 9 years but it's just crazy the, the inflation of the money from from just 30 year about 30 years ago until now you know a premier pitcher is getting paid 7 million dollars now all of a sudden Garrett Coles is getting paid 3 3 and 325 i mean it's absurd it absolutely is absurd, and I think the the craziest part for me is when I always see these big deals being signed. I think about, you know, what's how old will the player be when the, when the contract expires? And there's no opt. Actually, is there an opt out? No, there's a player opt out. I think in this contract, but there is a no trade clause. But the Yankees will be stuck with Cole if he's not performing well enough to opt out. Opt-